In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day where we have an opportunity to receive from you all of your many gifts and hear as we consider your word. May it um, be a light unto our path. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so context, context, context. Uh, we kind of get, we spent, what now, six months basically on four verses because we had a long gap in the middle where we were studying the office of the holy ministry. Hold the door shut, please. Thank you. Uh, so we had Peter's passion prediction earlier in chapter 16. Then we had Peter's rejection of Christ and his cross, right? And then that gets us up to where we are now, just a couple verses later. So it's very dense. There's a lot going on in just a few short verses. And actually, this is really a continuation of what we had before. All right? So maybe a conclusion of that. So that's what I wrote for there for context. Jesus continues with the cross language. So remember, Peter said that he was the Christ, but then Peter denied that the Christ would die for the sins of the people, that he would suffer and die by, a, by crucifixion. Well, or die at all, actually. But now he's going to use that cross language of suffering and dying. This time, now he's flipping it, and he's not going to apply it to the disciples. So we, I, I don't know. I found that the text that we're going to read here today has been misused, and it's also confusing for people. What is Jesus actually talking about? So that's why you have so much material on the sheet. We don't necessarily have to cover everything here. This is as much for your edification as you continue your study of the text throughout the week as we might use it here. All right, let's actually read the text. Matthew 16, 24, 28. Read it loudly, please. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come with his angels to the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right. I can't promise we'll get through all, all those verses, but um, they do, I think they go together. <clears throat> All right, the first expression. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me or to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. All right, so um, what expressions in there do we want to deal with? I, I suggested deny oneself is one that we probably need to figure out. <laughs> what does that mean? What does it mean to deny oneself? Quit taking the easy road. All right, that says taking the easy road. What else do you think? You're not God, right? So, okay, so what does that imply then? How, what is that, why is that important? If you're not God, then... Get rid of the me. Get rid of the me. Anything else? All right, so having a God means what? Or having one true God, what's the implication of that for you and your life? Salvation. Salvation, right? 
So don't, don't try to take salvation away from the one who gives it, <laughs> from Jesus. That's good. Deny one's own ability to sit, or thoughts or ideas that you could save yourself. That's important. That's, God, that's God's proper work, we'd say, theologically. I mean, a, another way that this might be manifest is that when someone says, well, I think we should be free to, um, to take our life when, when we're done with it, right? Give up the, you know, what do you call it? Assisted suicide, euthanasia, right? And I, I had one lady. Her husband was dying. She had three sons. And uh, he, was, he was terminal. I don't remember if it was cancer or what. He was dying. And her sons are like, he's dying. So why don't we just you know, give him some extra meds or something? And she looked at them and said, who died and made you God? Yeah. Incidentally, then when she was dying, um, two out of the three sons were, were trying to take her out of the home um, and to help her suicide. She was not conscious. She couldn't make that choice. They were going to do it for her. And the other son was prepared to take him to court, the one who was faithful churchgoer. They all were raised in the congregation. That would have been suicide. Uh, yeah, but their Jewish friend who lived next door didn't think so. Who was going to help them do this? Pretty incredible. And I reminded them. You remember what mom said about your dad? Do you think that she still wouldn't? She still doesn't believe that even now as she's suffering. Yeah. So yeah, uh, taking one's life is is to take God's place. He says he gives life and he takes it. Um, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. Well, you know, did you know they changed the name? Hemlock Society? You know what their new name is? Nobody knows? You don't hear about Hemlock Society anymore, do you? Yeah, it's called Compassion and Choices. Yeah, I think. Somebody Google it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know compassion is one of the words. Passion choices, so they change. They change that, uh, and they they lobby hard. Hemlock Society sounds kind of. I don't know. Well, it's true. Yeah, but there's different there's different ways to go about it now, right? There's other, there's other choices. Uh, anything else? Diet. Yeah. All the, so we're we're to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That includes ourselves, right? Above ourselves. Uh, but then we like to fear. Internally, not fear of God, but the, all the fears that we have that run contrary to God's own word. We love ourselves often more than both God and our neighbor. And uh, we trust our own wisdom more than God's own wisdom. Because we have better ideas. Yeah, we have better ideas. Not just salvation, but actually pretty much, you know, like we're talking about life and whatnot. So to, to deny oneself... Um, is to then confess God. I think that's absolutely right. And here in particular, it's to confess Christ, Jesus. So this will come up again. (laughs) St. Peter in uh, Matthew 26. Same word. Aporesatho. It's hard to say in Greek because I don't speak Greek that well. Uh, But the same deny, deny word is the same word that Matthew uses when Peter denies Jesus. So when Peter's denying Jesus, is he denying himself? No, he's trying to protect his own life. rather, And, and to do so, he'll do that by denying the one who gives him life. Oh. How's that? 
So that's a really poignant image of how this plays out then later in Matthew's Gospel. Yeah. At that time that Peter denied Jesus, he had a pretty good idea of what he was going to be exposed to with Jesus. Hmm. He decided in his mind, I don't want to part I know it's pretty amazing to us with all the passion predictions. We know the end of the story. We know the fruit of the cross. Jesus promised um, resurrection for those who are in him. The, this, I don't know. I, mean, I guess we give Peter a hard time, <laughs> but we probably shouldn't. Yeah, I'd say put in the same position. I mean, saving your own bacon is kind of the, that's the modus operandi, that's the mode of being. That's a, your primary operation is always this, preserve your life. Ah, what is that? What, what's the context? Oh, is that a skit? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> do it yourself. Um, so then I tried to maybe give you an idea of what this denying oneself looks like. Next sentence. When the Jews reject Jesus before Pilate, it's their way of denying him. So you, that's in the same context, same word again. Denial involves primarily a person or God. So we say, I think we use the word like denial, like I deny my craving for chocolate during Lent or something, right? I don't know. There's, we use denial in referring to like restraint, self-restraint. Um, but at least in the New Testament, it means to deny either a person or God. But that also then presumes, B, some kind of relationship, some kind of necessity of obedience or fidelity. So to deny your wife is to be unfaithful to her, for example. Right? To deny God is to, is to disobey God and his word, right? or to not confess his name. In the case of Jesus, there we go, uh, failure to confess him as God uh, or to be his disciple uh, is, is one of these kind of denial means. Uh, but it, if you look at uh, 2 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 5, you're, you're denying God when you fail to love your neighbor. And you know Jesus talks about that, right? What are the great, what's the greatest command? Love God and have faith toward, or we say it in the post-communion collect, have faith toward God and love toward your neighbor. So actually a way to deny God is to deny the needs of your neighbor. The neighbor whom God gave you. According to the scriptures. That's pretty intense, isn't it? But that's a way, see, denying oneself means to always care more about the needs of your neighbor than the, your own personal needs. So what's the other way Jesus explains this? If you see your neighbor in need, uh, like if he needs a coat, you give him a coat, right? Actually, he says give him two. <laughs> um, if he needs shelter, you give him shelter. Right? Uh, and then also, failure to acknowledge Christ in sound doctrine. So one way you deny Christ is by denying Christ as he's revealed himself in the word. So, like we talked about before, who died and made you God, one of the ways that's manifest is when you, when you say, here's what I think. And then I say, well, here's what God's word says. And you say, well, that, you know what, it really matters. Or I think that says this, despite what the word itself clearly says. Uh, maybe, how do some ways we see this the implication of this gets a little bit um, challenging <laughs> because we all deny God's word in different parts, different things that we're uncomfortable with. Um, sometimes they're quite obvious. 
I mean, what would, what would God say about those who say um, that the office of the ministry is, is for, for males? And so then today we have churches that read it and say, well, that was historic context. That was the cultural, that was just cultural approbation. You know, that's, they were just being like their neighbors. They were in a patriarchal society, but we're not now. We're in an egalitarian society. Say, so, well, how do you have, what do you have to do to make that work? when you're reading the Bible. You kind of have to say, well, that, that doesn't really apply to us. This part does, etc." By the way, that's not a really good way to um, dismiss the claims of Leviticus. You know Leviticus, right? The book of all the, all the tabernacle, later temple laws. Here's how you're to worship. Here's how you're to live. Laws about purity and holiness. Laws about society. Um, there's things in there that make us kind of like, what? Like, you're not supposed to eat animals with the blood in it. You always have to drain the blood out. And if you're good Germans, that'd be no blood sausage then. Right? Um, there's other ones, like not eating crawfish. The common one is, that people bring up all the time, is... Yeah, well, there's another one. No, you can't wear, like, polyester blend. Sorry. <laughs> no, the big one is about... I don't know, that the rayon polyester. Yeah. Uh, probably Leviticus in our context gets brought up most often about with the prohibitions against same-sex relationships. And uh, so then the usual rebuttal of that is to say, well, yes, but you, you people who reject same-sex relationships, you also eat shellfish and you wear blends and you don't do the purity laws and, you know, you have, by the way, you can't cook, you can't cook things in milk because there's this bit about stewing the goat in his mother's milk, the kid. Um, which I, I have a friend now who I met this summer at Higher Things. He's at seminary, but he was raised a Jew. He was adopted and raised as a Jew, and he's converted to Christianity and studying to be a Lutheran pastor. And he was saying, no, I, the way they understand that is like it's not only can you not have meat that's been cooked in milk, but you can't have any meat cooked in any milk, not just its own mother's milk, so the same species, and you really can't even have them at the same meal. <laughs> so if you're going to have like a, something that was cooked in milk, like, so they, ha- yeah, they, have to be set- and they have to be separate meals. So that would be like no meat and cheese. Exactly. So you have- no, no hamburgers. No cheeseburgers. No, can't do that. I'm like, that's pretty rough, right? But he, okay, back to the art of biblical interpretation here. So they would, so, oh, but look, you do that, so why, how can you say no same-sex marriage when the same book that you're quoting says that you can't do all the things that you actually do? So again, the right answer is not to say, well, that was just historic context, right? That was a specific kind of worldview or whatever, and now we're in a different worldview. Actually, the right answer is to say, those Levitical laws, why were they given, right? And then how has Christ fulfilled them for us? Right? And has he fulfilled the obligation not to have same-sex relationships? Actually, no. That law is a different sort of law that hasn't been fulfilled. All of the, all of the holiness laws have been fulfilled because who is our holiness? Christ is. And how do we receive that holiness now? Through baptism, right? Yeah. Adam. Yeah, I like that explanation, but in the case of same-sex marriage, I 
that's the right that's the right move. It's repeated several times in the New Testament where Levitical laws that are ceremonial laws are not. Right. It actually says we're free from those. So This is your wheelhouse, apologetics. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, going to Leviticus, you just set yourself up anyway. They'll ask you to respond to Leviticus, but the better thing is to say, okay, the same God who gave that word, what does he say in the New Testament, uh, which is our law now? All right, so why do we bring all this up? Oh, yes, denying self, sound doctrine, failure to confess what the scriptures say. Because um, how did St. John begin his gospel? It's the story of creation. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God's word is Christ. Um, all that was spoken by prophets, evangelists, by Moses, by the law and the prophets, those all, that's all Christ's word. Spoken through others. In the same way that when you hear a sermon, God willing, that's Christ's word too, <laughs> but spoken by his messenger. Make sense? All right. Uh, and D, denial, individual denial is a failure of the whole man of Christ. And we talk about that quite a bit uh, because it's the nature of sin, right? We talk, uh, that's in the sermon today, but like, you know, the road to hell is paved with diamonds, I guess, right? Uh, what's another expression? With good intentions, that's the word, actually. <laughs> with good intentions, right? I tried to do all, I tried to do right, right? But it ends up being just one sin upon another, upon another, upon another. Yeah, and it's gradual, gradual slide. It's not usually overnight that you're like, hey, I'm going to go worship Satan today. Although I saw an article about the Church of Satan. They use menstrual blood. (laughs) You people are weird. And also dangerous. That's uh, what you call it. Witchcraft, as the catechism would say. Satanic arts. Um, No, but he who ascended in one is guilty of the whole. Right? Isn't that what Jesus says? Right. Uh, and you see this play out. I do the exercise with children in catechism. They say, well, name a sin. And then we try to spin it out to show how it actually breaks all the commandments. Or at least the first three. Right? So, I mean, the, probably the, the most easy example to work with is David and Bathsheba. Because there's murder. Like, not just hatred, but murder. Right? There's obviously adultery, but it started with covetousness. Not only coveting of, of, of uh, Uriah's wife, but also actually of all his property. Uh, all that was his ended up being David's. He, he desires it, he steals it, he murders, he commits adultery. He lies about it, bears false, wit- false witness. And by so doing, he has denied both God's word, um, God's holy, he's used his office as, as priest, uh, not priest, as a king, he's misused God's name by misusing his office that God has given him, uh, and thereby has denied God himself. So, I mean, that's just one. You can kind of spin that out. It's not just big sins. You can do that with little ones, too. Maybe that's a mental exercise. Consider your life according to the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, <laughs> and really, it goes pretty deep. So, one failure in one point, fail in all. So, it's either... I don't like being so uh, black and white. Uh, what do you want to say? Bipolar, not bipolar. Black and white. And, uh, buy something. Like, it's either or. There's no, like, there's no, cut and dry. What? Binary. Binary, that's the word. Thank you, Matt. 
science, computer person. There we go, computer person. Um, I don't like being so binary, but Jesus is. Either you're for me or you're against me. You must deny oneself and you know, deny yourself and, and take up your cross and follow me. Not like sometimes, maybe a little bit here and there. Huh. So he's 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 kind of dry, and that that's also awkward. Give you a little quote from uh, Saint Saint John Chrysostom. Have you heard of Chrysostom or Chrysostom? Have I heard of him? Yes. Oh, is there a church named after him? Chrysostom. A, na- a church named after Chrysostom? Yeah, near north. Oh, near north. an Episcopalian church. His name means golden mouth. Golden mouth. Yeah, in Greek, Golden Mouth. It's his nickname. I don't remember his. I don't think. I don't know if we even know his real name. He was named Chrysostom by the church because of his preaching. So here's how he preaches on that text: I must not confess myself in my own being, nor cling to myself, but abandon myself in a radical renunciation of myself, and not merely of my sins. I must no longer seek to establish my life of myself, but resolutely accept death and allow myself to be established by Christ in discipleship. So to take up one's cross and follow him is actually to die to yourself. I like how he says that there. It's not just renouncing my sins, but accept death. And this is the way that God works. He works through death and resurrection. Just read the Old Testament. Read the whole, all the scriptures. They die and they rise. The people of God forsake God. They're sent into exile. They literally, or figuratively, I would say, die. And then they repent um, you know, they're like the prodigal son. Like, well, I'll at least go back to my father because maybe he'll make me a hired servant. And then God restores them. He brings them back to life. And he gives them all of his gifts together until they disobey and they fall into sin and unbelief again. So you see that over and over, this pattern of death and resurrection of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, God's people, um, of individuals. Um, even Christ's own ministry is all about death and resurrection. And actually, our, you know, our life is too. I think... I have described this for you before with Luther's prayers, morning and evening prayer. I mean, we talked about this, how, how they're, they're a death and resurrection. In the morning, you deny oneself because you say, keep me from all sin, right, and every evil. In the evening, <laughs> you're brought to life again, as he says, as you say, forgive me for, for my sins where I have done wrong. Huh? So deny oneself, and then, but then there's the restoration in the morning, in the evening. Right. I commend my whole life to God in all things. Right, which is, commending yourself to God is denying oneself. Exactly. Yeah. Is that helpful? Sometimes people think denying oneself is like being like, like we talked about, denying chocolate during land or something. You know, those abs- abstaining from um, the things of the body. Think of like Paul's laundry list today if you're at church already, or later you'll hear it uh, from in the epistle. I always laugh about it because Paul says, don't name these things amongst you in your church, and then he tells us all about them. Uh, you know, all the works of the flesh are evident. And then he gives you a little list. Hey, need some ideas? Here you go. Which is fine, because he says, I didn't know what coveting was until, until the scripture told me what coveting was, and now I covet all the time. So then he comes to the church and he tells them, don't do these things. Quiet. Um, yeah, sexual morality is the first one he lists. But then there's, there's many of them. In case you needed ideas, here they are, right? Sometimes people say, well, I restrain myself in this way. 
with this thing. This is how I personally deny, deny myself. This is my cross to bear. You ever heard that expression? This is my cross to bear? But I think what Jesus is getting at here is it's, it's complete and whole. It's renunciation of everything that, that you believe, think, do that would be apart from God in his word. So you don't just bear one little cross. The whole life is one of, of bearing the cross. Ultimately, the cross is borne by us because we're in the flesh, right? All the ways the works of the flesh are evident. And actually, they are unique to each of you, which is a challenge for preaching because I could talk about sexual morality one Sunday. Some of you would say, oh, yeah, I feel that might most acutely. The next one talk about greed. And then the other, those people are like, eh, no, that he's not talking about me. And the others are like, oh, he's definitely talking about me. You know, that's the challenge with like preaching just very specific, against specific sins, is there's a way that you could become proud or boastful, right? Because you don't struggle with that sin today. So anyway, that's a side note on preaching. Yeah, go John. Right. Well, who gives you the strength, we would say, or the faith, or even the desire to do such a thing? Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit to create faith in you, you do not seek after the things of God at all. And you would have no desire to suffer any of the things that come with being Christ's disciple. But only by his giving of trust in him can you do those things. Now, we struggle with that, right? Because it's not complete in us. It's not, it's not like, oh, yeah, today, cross-bearing again. Yay, let's go, right? But it's more of a struggle because spirit in the flesh, and that's, read the epistles, especially Romans, Galatians, on the interaction of the flesh and the spirit, and the things of, we hear that today uh, in the epistle especially, right? The works of the flesh are opposed to the works of the spirit, and the works of the spirit are opposed to the works of the flesh. Huh. And if, if you have both the spirit and, and you have the flesh, then... Oops, this is not going to be fun, right? So the I don't think so. I think they were terrified this, of it. This passage really kind of tells them what they're going to be. That's why I said they were terrified. Yeah, certainly after Christ's um, death. They're, where are they? They're huddled in the rooms with the doors locked. All the things that God had promised, or Christ had promised, would happen to them, suffering and death. It's there, waiting at the door. So what do they do? They lock it. <laughs> right. And you're right. Not until the Spirit comes upon them do they preach with boldness, not caring um, for their own life, but only for the, the lives of others, salvation of others. Hmm. That's correct. Yeah, how does uh, Peter say it? That's how you quench all the fiery darts. Yeah, that's true. Um, this, and this comes up later. I have a note about that. Um, it doesn't necessarily, taking up the cross doesn't necessarily mean you're going to suffer and die by crucifixion. <laughs> right? All right. Uh, that's the next note, actually. Take up his cross. The saying of Jesus is the view that the, uh, the reference is not merely to martyrdom. Okay, so now, the, of all the disciples, they all suffer a martyr's death, at least tradition has it, except for John, right, which we'll get to. Um, but that we have a vivid metaphor for self-denial, saying, 
for saying no to self might finally involve the surrender of life itself. So denying oneself might actually be, might actually be physical death. Um, I heard, okay, I didn't watch the funeral yesterday because I, I generally can't bear those things. Um, I can't stand them because it's not a Christian funeral. I know it's in a cathedral, but anyway. They had great. I've, I got mixed, actually. Some people said they didn't like the songs at all. And they're like, Danny Boy? Why are you singing Danny Boy? Anyway, but I didn't listen. I didn't listen. Um, but I did see, I saw the little quotables pop up on Twitter from CNN. And the one, I can't remember who he was. He was another senator. He, he's like, you know, it's like Jesus said. It's not, you know, no greater love is there than this, that one man lay down his life for his friends. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I guess he's referring to McCain being a soldier. Right? But he didn't actually... Yeah. So he doesn't get Memorial Day, right? He only gets Veterans Day. Memorial Day is for those who die in battle. I think yes. originally it was Armistice Day, right? Historically. Yeah. Now it's, now it's pretty much everybody, yeah. Let's not talk about that. Because you know what a eulogy is? It's good words. That's what it means. Yeah. Eulogy. Don't say the bad words. <laughs> Only say the good words at my funeral, please. Oh, anyway. Yeah, look. Just Google it. Um, it, does, it does mean that sometimes, though, especially in times of great persecution upon the church, um, that you might end up losing your life as a result you know, of, of what you believe. But remember that what you believe is not just about this, like, knowledge or noetic. That, that's the Greek word, noetic. You know, knowledge. It's, it's just ideas. Jesus is very clear that faith in God reveals itself in love for the neighbor, in the works of the Spirit, as we heard. Uh, I actually talked about in the, that was in the prayer today. And the works of the Spirit are these, right? Are the fruits of the Spirit. I like fruit, his language of fruit better than work. But he means the same thing. Um, fruits are... Can fruits choose to be fruits? No, fruits are because they're grafted onto the tree, right? Fruits come from, from fruit-bearing trees. So the spirit uh, who's living and active in you is a fruit-bearing tree. So you will bear fruits that's been prepared for you from before the foundation of the world, regardless of um, whether you really want to do fruits or not. <laughs> to have fruits. Which is a good thing, right? It's not about obligation or duty. It's actually about God working in and through you, even despite you, as I finished the sermon last week, if that was a little shocking for you. Sorry. Yeah, even despite you. All right, good. Let's talk about this follow word. Um, you know, in the ancient world, follow, it means all sorts of different things. Uh, so I said, you know, intellectual, moral, or religious sense. So you could say, I follow... I follow the Keynesian school of economics. Did we talk about that last week? I'm looking at Doug. Keynesian school. Keynesian school. I didn't say it right. Yeah, let's not get him going, right? Right. So you... Yeah, some deny this Keynesian school of economics. So that's the way that we use that expression, right? Um, I, follow, I follow the Chicago Cubs. Is it religious? Actually, probably for some people. Right? But generally, what is it? You're just kind of intensely aware, like Ethan, 
stats and scores and who's up and who who's injured, who's not. Well, all that kind of stuff. I follow well CNN. Yeah, I try not. Then it's true. We use that's the language that Twitter uses, right? And if somebody follows you, they're a follower. Uh huh. So yeah, it can mean just like ideas, thoughts, all the tasty wisdom that you put on Twitter. I don't post on Twitter. I just read other people's stuff, and and I usually go unfollow, unfollow, you know, or mute for thirty days. I don't want to hear from them for a while. Yeah. So it can't. It doesn't have to mean religious. It could mean like intellectual. Like I'm a follower of Aristotle, right? And I I, I appreciate Aristotle's way of, of talking. It can be a moral thing, right? I follow. Um, I follow this precept: do unto others as you would do unto them. the golden rule. I follow the golden rule. Uh, that's not really what Jesus is getting at, as we've kind of already talked about a little bit. Um, think of Elisha and Elijah. They're, they're actually the Septuagint. The Greek Old Testament uses the same word, akolutheo, excuse me. Um, he said, you know, I will follow you. And that's, so that's a disciple to his teacher, right? Rabbi to his teacher. Uh, but in the New Testament use, to follow, it's actually strictly limited to following Jesus. That's... That's the only way they use the word, is to follow Jesus. Think of the multitudes who follow him back in chapter 8, 10. Also, the disciples end up following him after the multitudes follow him. And then a very specific disciple, a certain scribe, follows him in verse 19 of that chapter. So you have crowds, then disciples, and then a certain scribe, who would that be? Usually in the Gospels, when they say a certain guy, that means he is somebody that you probably should know who he is. In Matthew chapter 18, or 8, verse 19, who's the certain scribe that followed after him? I don't know. <laughs> it, was a, it was a rhetorical question. I don't actually know. But it's, you know, there, uh, a certain rich man. I mean, they're like, okay, which one was that? The Bible can actually drop in. Yeah, it's like, hit, hit, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. The actual verse doesn't specify. Nope. It just says, a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. It could be that I, like, if Josephus doesn't want his identity to be able to his peers. Or Nicodemus, yeah, or like, one of the, yeah, one of the, the somebody of notoriety. Um, I, I just like to, I, I think it reads like, yeah, you should know who this guy is. Like the guy in, in Capernaum, like, you know who this is. Well, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah. Um, it requires the breaking of all other ties. So Matthew eight twenty two. What does that say, Doug? Matthew eight twenty two. Oh, did you flip away from it? Eight twenty two. Yeah. Jesus said to him, "Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead." Yeah. So even the thing that we think is like that's really important, right? Go bury your loved ones. He's like, just let it be. Follow me. Whew. That's pretty intense, right? Okay. Um, so it's not just being a student of a rabbi, because students of rabbis, you do what the rabbi says, right? And you do what the rabbi does. So they had those bracelets back in the 90s, remember? WWJD? That's a, that's a rabbinical kind of relationship to Jesus, doing what he says to do. Or it's like Mary at the wedding at Cana, like, like, we're out of wine. And he said, yeah, that's her last word in the gospel. Do whatever he tells you. 
But actually, that's not a bad word, right? Do whatever he tells you. But it's not the same as following him. That's my point there. It's part of it, but it's not the whole thing. Here's another point. This one's interesting. Huh. Discipleship is essentially a gift. So even the following of him is a gift to you. It's the spirit who works to say, that guy's to reveal Jesus to you. And say, he's your salvation. Follow him. And you're like, okay. Yeah, John. I know. It's unbelievable. Now, arguably, they had had a rough day fishing. (laughs) And then he gave them a really good day. They could probably live off of that for a little bit. But, yeah, your point is valid. Yeah. Um, Or at least he has some authority from God, because only God could, only someone with God's authority could do this sort of thing, right? Command the sea and the waves, so command the fish to come into the boat. What's John eight twelve? Somebody, did somebody grab that? I'll give you a citation. John eight verse twelve. I'm thinking it's John. I don't think it's Matthew. Yeah. What does that say? I prepared this last night, and now my my mind's blanking. Right. So, whoever will have the light. So, you are in darkness apart from the following. He brings you into the light, and and that's the following is to go after the light, like a moth to the flame, so to speak. So, the Spirit reveals Christ as being the light of the world, and you're like, well, actually, the people dwelt in darkness and the shadow of death. They actually, they love the darkness rather than the light, actually. John tells us, too. That's the problem with light and darkness. Sometimes you're like, oh, too much. You know, go away. So it works that way, too. Uh, also, discipleship is participation in the death of Jesus. John 12, 25 to 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal. Yeah, that's the, that's the same citation. That's the parallel from Matthew from the text we're reading. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. Oh, there's the follow word. Anyone yeah. who serves me, Father will honor. Yeah. So to follow is to serve, is to be with, etc. Is to deny oneself. I gave you a couple other expressions um, as to this whole, this whole verse, check verse 24. Uh, Acts 14:22. This is Peter, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas, um, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, "We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God." See how that's a confession of the both the theology of the cross, which we talked about the last two weeks, but even here, denying oneself, taking up one's cross, and following. That is to enter the kingdom of God through tribulations, not through paved with diamonds, but with good intentions, I guess. Uh, the second Corinthians passage, I think, is really helpful to help us understand this, this, this verse. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about, in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. 
that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For, uh, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. You see, you see how St. Paul is running with that? Really what is a paradox, right? That in order to live, you have to die. In order to follow, you have to give up everything, right? You have to, in order to receive, you, you sacrifice all. How, see how that works? And so Paul is referring to his, his own work, right? Death is working in us, meaning those who are preaching the gospel to you, that you would have life working in you. So the preacher comes along and puts to death the works of the flesh, unbelief, in order that life would spring forth by the, by the word of the gospel. Hmm. So, yeah. We are, I love how he says this, that we're always caring about the body, in the body, in the body of the church, by the way, because that's plural, um, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our, plural, by the way, body. In English, we don't have singular, plural, our. It's our, and I think I did this with, you can use Texas language, with you and y'all. And y'all, y'all is like super plural, I guess. Is that text helpful for you, that Second Corinthians? All right. And then also Second Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So you will suffer persecution for what? Not growing worse and worse, actually. This is one of the things that, that it's, it's kind of the backspin of what, what the Holy Spirit works in us. Is that what do people then end up saying about Christians? Well, you're all like goody two-shoes, right? You're hypocrites because you don't do it perfectly, and you, but you talk about perfection. Um, what else? But they look, at it, they look at even the good works that a Christian might do or the works of mercy, um, and they look at that, and they see that as a judgment against themselves as well. Right? So then you're persecuted because, actually, you love your neighbor. Because that's a judgment against those who refuse to love their neighbor. Does that follow? Yeah. So persecution comes from all sides. All right. Any questions so far? Now, I don't know what else you've covered. So, did I see a hand? No. Okay. 25, which was, to recap, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, by the way, the word trans- that we translate as life there in that verse is suke. Do you know this? Have you heard this before, suke? Um, suke in the Old Testament is translated as nefesh, which is the breath of God. So, like, when, uh, when God says to uh, Ezekiel in that, you know, breathe on these dry bones, breathe on them, O son of man, that they may live. The breath, or what does he do with Adam? He forms him in the dust, and what's he do on him? Breathes on them. Yeah, and then uh, Doug brought up, like, after Christ's uh, death, then when he appears to his disciple after his resurrection, what's the first thing he does to them? In John, anyway. He breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So the breath of God is, is the Lord and give it's, it's the Lord and giver of life, right? It's the Spirit's work to bring life. Uh, the Spirit is the breath of God, actually. Which means when Christ speaks, he's breathing out God's Spirit. The Spirit and the Word are attached. 
Am I saying too much? Or is that just mind-blowing? Is that a lot? Okay. I don't know if you made all those connections, that the spirit is life, the spirit is, is breath, breath is God. When, when the wind blows amongst them in Pentecost, it's the spirit, right? Which blows when we're... Spirit blows when and where it wills. We don't know the sound of it or where it goes. So it is for everyone who has been born of God, right? It's the work of the Spirit. And you don't even see it coming. <laughs> Sometimes that works for conversion, right? I don't know if you know any like adult converts where they got basically smacked upside the head. Like, you know, life-changing kind of moment. Others, it's more of a lots and lots of catechesis. I think I told you about... Um, uh, the man in the last parish who was attending with his wife for 20 years was raised Roman Catholic, kind of not so sure what he believed, certainly a Christian, but then came to the clear conviction of Christ and, and uh, the work of Christ only after a long time of catechesis, right? of denying himself, basically, and, and following after Jesus. Usually translated as life, right? Um, here, oh, like I said, where God breathes, there he gives life. In classical Greek, so in the Greek world, the suke referred to the life spirit or the soul of man. It's used kind of interchangeably. So the suke is not like, it, it's just, it's the life force, if you like. It's the force. Um, but in the New Testament, it actually has a little bit different meaning. Usually, mostly, almost always. It can, re- it can refer to the whole of physical life. So your suke is your whole being can be the whole man um, and then very occasionally it can mean the place of feeling. It doesn't usually translate in the Greek way actually I don't know that it ever does as soul or spirit. But uh, This is probably one of the more uncomfortable things that you'll hear today. We'll leave it at this is that you're um, is that a lot of the ways that people speak about, about their life and um, especially in regards to death they're speaking from Greek philosophy and not from the scripture. So when you say, well, his soul has gone to be in a better place. Actually, the Bible doesn't say that. That was, that was the Greeks' <laughs> philosophy. That's what they, that was their metaphysics. That's what they believed. Um, the Bible doesn't really... It, it uses the Greek words to describe the person, aspects of the person. But here, like suke, it means the whole person. So what is the person who has died in the Lord? This gets really uncomfortable like when we go to, to like a funeral and there's an open casket and there's a body. And we're talking about funerals again. He's not there. That's what people say, right? This isn't him. Not just because of the makeup, which is usually like you can't take him back 10 years, right? <laughs> Good luck. But, yeah. I guess some are really skilled. Yeah, but they say he's not here. And it's pretty clear he's not there. But yet, what does Jesus say about that body? That's your body. And what body is he going to raise in the last day? That body. That's still you. What the Bible doesn't tell us is then, well, how is that still you, and yet it doesn't look like you, and there's no animus, there's no life, there's no breath left in you. What is, what, what is the existence of man after death before the resurrection, before the voice of the Lord calls, the breath of God breathes upon all the slain? What is that existence like? 
souls, kind of, yeah. Soul sleep, that you're just like sleeping. Well, and that's what Jesus says about the dead, right? Because it's a little girl, I said, you arise before it. No, he's not, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. What? Clearly dead. Yeah, so the, no, the Bible doesn't really tell us much. And so the danger is, this is what I'm trying to warn you against, is saying more than what the Bible says and then misleading people away from like trust in baptism or confession of the resurrection of the body. Sometimes you go to a funeral and people talk about like the person they're always playing golf in heaven and they got their angel wings and I don't know what other nonsense people say, right? I'm sorry if you say that. Um, and you're like, but that doesn't help us deal with this. I'm pointing at the casket. <laughs> what about that? I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So we, we have to be cautious about that. Is it proper to say, though, that he's or she's asleep with Jesus? Mm-hmm. You hear that a lot. R.I.P. Rest in peace. Yep. Yeah, no. Um, so, when, like, when I plan a funeral with a family, I actually do this. I spend probably half the time talking about the ways that the church speaks, the Bible speaks, and thus the church speaks about the one who's died in the Lord. So you can say rest, that he's resting in the peace of Jesus. Um, you can say he's asleep with Jesus, he or she. Um, you can say, I mean, how else does the Bible speak? That he's in safekeeping, you might say. That's how we sing it in the uh, Lord, the I love with all my heart. You know, Keep my body safe until thy reappearing. Peaceful sleep until thy reappearing. I like the sleep picture because it's a little bit better. Maybe sleep without dreaming. <laughs> but, but still sleep. Because what does he say? wake up and like no time has passed because tick tock tick tock tick tock's not happening right <laughs> you're awake and you're with Christ forever not just like some disembodied spirit but body soul spirit all the ways the Greek spoke of, of the person so also of you your whole, per- your whole being restored resurrected I don't I guess we do talk about like meeting spirits that are disembodied from their, their body Notice you never meet you never meet God apart from his body in the Old Testament. It's always a voice or a person. So how does God want to be known? And it's on Jesus. Yeah, you see that from the beginning. Who is incarnate and born of the Virgin Mary, right? <laughs> Man. He wants to be known um, in the same humanity that he gives us. Mind blown. Suke. Suke. Any other stuff about that? So this is really going to be really important because actually when it says whoever desires to what? Save his life will lose it. And whoever loses my life for his sake will find it. Guess what? The same word suke comes up in verse 26. But it's not translated the same way. Oops. Uh, and actually I really wanted to do the next statement. But I'm not going to. You're going to have to hold on to it until next week. But if some of you were following along with the gospel reading and you're like, what? That's not what the word said. Because Jesus says your faith has made you well. The actual word is your faith has saved you. Faith, the salvation in faith. And why the translator said made you well, healed you. We'll talk a lot about that maybe <laughs> next week. All right, any questions? Answers? Was that helpful? Good? All right. Yeah, How good time. Compare that with the statement Jesus made to the uh, on the cross, which today will be with me. Uh, sorry. 
inheritance. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, we have we talked about time? Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the time conundrum. Okay. So so when I was talking about sleep in Jesus, I was speaking in how we would speak in terms of we who are here in time. The one who dies in the Lord, when you die, no more TikTok, guess what? You're already in eternity. Right? You're outside of time. Your markers of time, sunset, sunrise, TikTok, TikTok, these things are gone, actually. Will your heart be beating in heaven? That's another, let's not talk about that. Um, but from God's perspective, and this, this is where the New Testament kind of tends to turn our heads upside down, is like when we're talking about good works that the Lord has prepared for you to perform from before the, beforehand, before you were even born, he already had prepared for you the good works that you will do in him. And you're like, well, how do you know? I don't even know, <laughs> right? Um, he also says that your name was written in the book of life, was written before you were born or saved or da da da, right? Jesus Christ was crucified from before the foundation of the world, Paul says. Wait a minute, how do you do that? Right, because we're only thinking linear time, right? And I, so to answer your question, Tim, think like Einstein. <laughs> think like, what would it be to be outside of time? As a what? You have to know about it. Oh, I don't it's know. Like a slaughterhouse. Oh, slaughterhouse. Yeah. Yes. I forgot about that. Because now I'm thinking of in Watchmen, which comic book, which also has um, a guy who goes into eternity and he sees the beginning and end and all the possible futures all at once. That's God's perspective, <laughs> right? So yes, you are with me because really from the moment you die, the, you're already with God in the resurrection. And actually, we actually believe this too when we go to the Lord's Supper, I said over the end. But we say with saints and angels and the whole host of heaven, those who have died in the Lord, those now and those who will who haven't even been born but who will die in the Lord all those those who gather around with us at the supper the lamb that's why foretaste of the feast to come isn't my eh, it's okay it's fine it's not really the appetizer it's actually the meal it just from our vantage point below it doesn't look all that impressive yet <laughs> so you're saying we're already there already there <clears throat> heaven on earth really uh that's the problem a lot of times with like more Baptist see hymns is always looking for heaven to be down the road and we're like it's, Jesus is right here for you now why, why are you waiting why are you always looking for why, why don't you live with him now where he's promised to be here yeah. that's a little peeve maybe of mine but it does change things I think alright we can talk more about that next week the whole saving thing too uh, let's close with prayer we'll pray the Lord's prayer our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. See you soon.